be with you. And also with you. Proclaim the greatness of the Lord our God and worship God upon the holy mountain. We welcome you to Marsh Chapel this, on this Transfiguration Sunday, whether you are seated here with us in the nave of the chapel, ha- listening live via WBUR at 90.9 FM in the Great of Boston area, listening over the internet at WBUR.org, or listening later via the podcast, please know that you are a valued par- part of our community. My name is Jessica Chica, and I have the pleasure of serving as the university chaplain for international students here at Marsh Chapel. Our dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, is away this week and sends his warm regards to each of you. Today, we welcome our guest preacher, the Reverend Soren Hessler, our chapel associate for leadership development here at Marsh Chapel. Soren, along with his wife, the Reverend Jen Quigley, provide guidance and support for the Marsh Chapel Vocational Internship Program for undergraduate students. Soren is a PhD candidate in practical theology at the BU School of Theology and also serves as the associate director of the Betty Ann Greenbaum Miller Center for Interreligious Learning and Leadership at Hebrew College, which encourages the cultivation of interreligious leadership among students and religious professionals. We are also blessed to have Herbert S. Jones and the Inner Strength Gospel Choir leading us in musical contemplation and worship today. We gather this morning to worship God and be reminded of the divine gifts of grace which join us together in the body of Christ. Let us stand as we are able in praise of God.
us pray. O God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may strengthen to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We now enter into a time of reflection on both the things we have done and the things we have left undone that might burden us throughout our days. As the choir sings the Kyrie, may we reflect on our lives as interconnected members of this world and children of God who are constantly struggling and striving to live out God's word in the world. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Friends, hear the good news. God, who is rich in mercy, loved us even when we were dead in sin and made us alive together with Christ. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 24, verses 12 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders he had said, Wait here for us until we come to you again, for Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai, 
and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lesson from the second epistle of St. Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we had been eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when that voice was conveyed to him by majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice come from heaven while we were with them on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic message more fully confirmed. You will do well to be attentive to this as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by human will 
But men and women, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to Christ. Please join me in reading Psalm 99 with the Antiphon. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He's exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is the Lord. Mighty King, lover of justice, you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is the Lord. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord, and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of a cloud. They kept his decrees and his statutes. They gave them. Our Lord, O oh Lord our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Extol the Lord our God, and worship at his holy mountain. Surely the Lord our God is holy. Rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 through 9. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, 
Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
seated. Good morning. It is a wonder and a joy to be a part of this community, and I'm especially grateful to Dean Hill for the invitation to join you in the pulpit today. As your bulletin notes, today is the last Sunday after Epiphany, Transfiguration Sunday. It is that time in the Christian year when we recognize the real presence of God incarnate in Jesus. This theological claim grounds our preparation in Lent, which begins on Wednesday, for the celebration of the miracle of Easter and resurrection. My sermon title plays on the claim that is made in Matthew's description of Jesus on the mountain. Particularity, this theological concept that God's incarnation happened through Jesus as a particular person at a particular time and place about two millennia ago in the region near the Sea of Galilee, is front and center in our gospel today. Christian particularity, what makes us unique and distinct as a religious body, is grounded in this idea that Jesus is God. Within religious communities, we often do a pretty good job of telling our own folk why we are unique and special, what makes us different from everybody else, Uh, but that doesn't always lend itself to thoughtfully engaging folks outside of our own community. Thankfully for the preacher, this is a well-trod topic, although for a PhD candidate like me, I sometimes wonder how I'm supposed to contribute to a two-millennia-old conversation. Twenty years ago, Mary Elizabeth Moore wrote an article for the British Journal of Religious Education titled, Christian Particularity, Teaching Christian Particularity in a Pluralistic World. In the article, she writes, Christianity itself lives in the tension between formation and freedom, particularity and pluralism. And that tension is represented in Jesus Christ himself. Although Christians vary greatly in what they believe about Jesus and his teaching, a common heritage of Christians is an affirmation of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. This heritage has sometimes been used as a wedge to divide Christians from people of other faiths, drawing upon such biblical texts as, No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. This very heritage can instead be the source of basic impulses to embrace the pluralistic world. And the heritage can be discovered most fully when we, partic- when we practice education by conversation, seeking to know ourselves and others by engaging with the diverse traditions of Christianity and with the diverse traditions of other religious communities. After all, isn't the collegiate experience all about education by conversation? We don't come to know the other through conver- we come to know the other through conversation with the other and also grow to more fully understand ourselves. I was sitting in the College of General Studies building lobby on Friday afternoon, 7 degrees, sunny, it's gorgeous outside. Classes were letting out a little after 2 p.m. and nearly everyone was headed for a place outside. A young woman sat down at a table near me in the lobby, jean jackets, stylish shades, benti, very berry, hibiscus, Starbucks refresher in hand. She looked the part of a person ready to enjoy a beautiful spring day. However, she busied herself on her phone, waiting for something or someone. A few minutes later, a young man also looks for a place to sit. He recognizes the young woman. She looks up from her phone, and he walks to her table. Uh, we're, we're in class together, he stammers the question. She smiles warmly. 
Yeah. A hand extended, a name offered. He introduces himself. They begin to chat. Eventually, she invites him to sit. Are you rushing? Everybody seems to be rushing. Um, no, he replies, clearly hoping that was the right answer. I didn't know that was such a big thing here. Oh, it's okay. I'm not rushing either, she says. A sigh of relief. He concedes, I'm just not into that. Conversation continues. Eventually, she shares that several women in her family went to BU, and it was always a part of her awareness applying to schools. She speaks passionately about the institution's history and commitment to social justice and accessibility for the common working person in Boston. An aunt got a degree while working full-time. She continues that she only applied to schools in New England. He applied to 15 schools across the country, BU and BC, got into both. Oh, I didn't apply to BC, she says. He stops again. Perhaps he said the wrong thing. But she continues and talks about the character of an institution. She didn't have anything against BC. BU just represented the kind of institution she wanted to be a part of, a place which values diversity, a place where you can find a place to belong, and a place where anyone can improve their future. That's why I'm here. They continue to chat. I think to myself, wow, she'd make a great campus tour guide. Their conversation continues. He learns more about BU, and she is at least entertained by his curiosity. Eventually, he says, I don't think I have your number. We should hang out. I'd like that, she responds as she types some digits in his phone. Conversation is a constant part of college life. You meet new people, you learn new things, you learn about yourself, and sometimes you make a friend. When we engage with the unfamiliar or the uncomfortable, we learn a bit more about ourselves. That's why I left all the lectionary readings in the liturgy this week. For some, one text or another is uncomfortable, awkward, or jarring. Psalm 99 has an abundance of masculine lordship language, itself at odds with the feminist commitments espoused by many members of the staff and regular folks in the pews but it's interlaced with profound truths fundamental to the commitments of this community. Lover of justice, you have established equity, and you were a forgiving God to them. But that line is immediately followed with, you are an avenger of their wrongdoings. What? Do we worship a God of wrath and judgment? Plenty of Christians do. Do we believe, what do we believe? And why do we believe it? How do today's readings trouble your notions of the divine? Is God a devouring fire? Is the Holy Spirit spoken by God? The images from the lessons today all ground the language and ingrained imagery of our tradition. We may find some useful, others not, but they are part of the tradition. Together, the texts contribute to our collective Christian particularity and inform your own theological particularity. Like many Methodists, I learned my theology through song. The sermon hymn today, which Justin Blackwell, our organist and associate director, who is, you can't see him, but is behind the organ over there, um, he tells me 
that it's the most popular of the four or so transfiguration hymns in the United Methodist Hymnal. It frames the uniqueness of Jesus and Jesus' relationship with God. It also provides a glimpse of what the Western Church has taught about the transfiguration for centuries. From age to age, the tale declares how with the three disciples there, where Moses and Elijah meet, the Lord holds converse high and sweet. The law and prophets there have place to chosen witnesses of grace. These lines from the Serum Breviary, the variants of the Roman Rite, commonly used in the Diocese of Salisbury in England from the 11th to the 16th centuries, allude to the principal teaching of the early church in the encounter among Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. It signals that the law, the prophets, and the gospels ought to be received and read in conversation with one another. John Mason Neal, the 19th century Anglican priest and hymn writer, you might know him for his carol, Good King Wenceslas, translated this disused use of Salisbury and a number of other Latin, Greek, Russian, and Syrian liturgical texts into English. Much of the ancient liturgy we now sing in English is thanks to Reverend Neal. His translation continues, With shining face and bright array, Christ deigns to manifest that day, where glory shall be theirs above, who joy in God with perfect love. These serum lines connect our future heavenly glory bodies, of which Paul writes in Corinthians, with Jesus' appearance on the mountain. It is in his appearance we see the promise of resurrection. The last line of the gospel pericope also more clearly reinforces the resurrection connection. Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. That line is also a truth claim in our gospel today. How do we navigate these Christian truth claims in a pluralistic world? Perhaps we scrutinize them in our encounter with the other. In conversation, we bring reason, tradition, and experience to bear on Scripture, and we come to own what is good, real, and true in our texts. Marsh Chapel is a lectionary-based liturgical experience. Week by week, we read through a three-year cycle of scriptural texts. However, the preacher may elect, and the dean often does, to include only a portion of the texts appointed for the day. Usually, the lectionary includes a Hebrew Bible lesson, a selection from a New Testament epistle or Acts, a psalm or a portion of one, and a gospel lesson. To explicate four, at best, loosely related texts in about 20 minutes is a practical challenge. Often, the dean's 22 and a half minutes is not even enough time to fully engage with one of the texts, let alone four. Your preacher today decided it better to invite you into conversation with each text. Although, truth be told, today's lectionary lists two psalms. Psalm 99 is the alternate text, the less common one, even if a full treatment of each text may escape his ability today. By engaging with the diverse texts and traditions of Christianity— and with the diverse traditions of other religious communities, we come to know ourselves. In 2 Peter 1.21, we hear, First of all, you must understand this, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, because no prophecy ever came by human will. But men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. We're reminded of the campaign of our United Church of Christ friends. God is still speaking. Are we listening for the movement of the Spirit 
and recognizing God's continuing movement in the world? This chapel was constructed with the expectation that God was still speaking. A regular worshiper or listener knows the saints whose images adorn the clerestory's windows of this sacred space. You have Abraham and Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, John the Baptist, Peter, Paul, John the Evangelist, Athanasius, Augustine, Francis of Assisi, Martin Luther, John Wesley, Francis Asbury, Abraham Lincoln, and Francis Willard. Yes, Daniel Marsh even believed that God was speaking through a woman. It would take my, my denomination, his denomination, almost another two decades to get on board that women could and should have equal place with men in the church. But Francis Willard, like so many heroes, is a complicated person. Temperance leader, suffragette, and in Marsh's day, the only woman to have a statue in the Capitol Rotunda. However, she also tacitly encouraged racism and bigotry in the temperance and suffrage pamphlets and flyers her organizations produced. At a time when other leaders, women and men, worked for greater racial inclusion, she did very little to further that cause. She prophesied a land of inclusion and equality for women. But was that vision only for white women? Part of her message was on point. Part of it, not. How does the reality of her life and work square with our verse from Second Peter today? Our conversation partners help us make sense of our scripture and the tradition we inherit. Perhaps our particularity, our own personal Christian theological particularity, changes over time, educated by conversation. When I teach United Methodist Polity, that is the organization, structure, and law of the denomination contained in this, the Book of Discipline, I encounter a number of Cradle United Methodist students preparing for a lifetime of usually itinerant ministry and service to the denomination. Many have been swaddled in the rhythms of the church and know the denominational jargon, but they often refer to themselves as Methodist, not United Methodist. When asked, why Methodist? Why not United Methodist? The usual answer goes something like this. Oh, it sounds so formal. It refers to the official body of the denomination. Methodist is more generic, more general, more personal. I often ask if they have an affinity for John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement. Responses are often mixed. Well, how about Philip William Otterbein? Philip who? The name does not usually register unless they are from Ohio or Pennsylvania or they've taken their United Methodist history class. Philip William Otterbein, founder of the United Brethren in Christ, lifelong friend of Francis Asbury, the early American Methodist bishop. Otterbein, the German-speaking, university-educated immigrant minister who, together with Martin Bohm, a German-speaking farmer-turned-minister, organized religious communities for the German immigrants of Pennsylvania and Ohio in the early 19th century. The same Otterbein who, with Bohm and Asbury, appears in the list of bishops of the United Methodist Church. When the Methodist Church merged with the Evangelical United Brethren Church in 1968, the lists of Episcopal leaders merged, and Otterbein and Bohm found a place alongside Asbury, Thomas Koch, Richard Watcote, and Jacob Albright as the founding Episcopal leaders of our denomination. 
The tiny communities which dot the farmlands of Pennsylvania and Ohio still often have two United Methodist churches, one historically Methodist Episcopal and one EUB. There are plenty of United Methodists who aren't Wesleyans. In fact, they don't see themselves as Methodists at all. They're United Methodists, the product of a merged church, a big tent where competing theological views are welcome and where for almost 50 years we have agreed to disagree on many things. I share with students that I describe myself as United Methodist because I believe in a big tent church. Yes, I'm personally Methodist in theology and practice, but I've come to value and learn from the conversation partners I find within my own denomination, especially the non-Wesleyan ones. A good conversation partner is someone with whom you can be honest about your particularity, whether that's BU, BC, United Methodist, Lutheran, Christian, Jewish, or Muslim. Last week, I had the responsibility of communicating the morning announcements. I began in the usual fashion, Good morning and welcome to Marsh Chapel. Whether you join us here in the nave at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, by radio airwaves at 90.9 WBUR or via the podcast, we are glad you are with us for a moment of pause, rest, and worship. As I continued, I made that welcome a bit more specific. As we strive to be a service in the service of the city, Boston, and a heart in the heart of the city, know that you are welcome here. Immigrant, refugee, or eighth-generation New Englander, black, brown, white, gay, straight, bi, trans, something else, or simply not sure, you are welcome here. Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Green Party, Independent, you are welcome here. Anyone who listens regularly to the Sunday morning service knows that the dean has worked over these last several years to cultivate a culture of genuine welcome and hospitality in the Marsh Chapel community. We are a multi-generational, multi-ethnic, politically and theologically diverse worshiping community, but sometimes we're not always explicit that a welcome to all means all. We hope that you find in the chapel a place where you can be honest about your particularity. Find a receptive conversation partner, learn about their particularity, and reflect on your own. Coffee hour after the service is an excellent opportunity for education by conversation. So is Monday night dinner, create space on Tuesdays, Wednesday school of theology worship in the nave, and common ground communion on Thursdays out on Marsh Plaza. Find a good conversation partner here at Marsh Chapel or in one of your classes at the AA meeting, in your candlepin league, or in your yoga class. How are we to engage a pluralistic world? Well, be honest about your own particularity and get an education by conversation about yourself and about the other. Amen. As we enter into a time of prayer, I invite you to assume the posture that is most prayerful for you. Kneel, sit, stand, or come to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord.
Each petition will conclude with the words, God of grace, to which the response will be, hear our prayer. God of the transfiguration, transform our hearts. Whatever mountaintop we wait upon, whatever valley we have fallen into, may we always hear your voice and feel your presence guiding and encouraging us. For those in discernment, we ask for clarity. For those in despair, we ask for hope. For those in mourning, we ask for comfort. For those in anticipation, we ask for patience. When we find ourselves seduced by a false set of priorities, break through our distraction and return our focus to you. Move us by your Holy Spirit to listen deeply and fully to your word as we engage with all our particularities and pluralities. God of grace, hear our prayer. God of renewal, we are exhausted by the constant struggle for justice. Fill us with the fire of your spirit and help us to always protect the vulnerable, speak for the voiceless, fight for the oppressed, and welcome the stranger. We pray for our sisters and brothers at Standing Rock, for our Muslim sisters and brothers, for our immigrant sisters and brothers, and for all those who are marginalized, discriminated against, and exploited. May we join and support them in their struggle for dignity, human rights, and justice. God of grace, hear our prayer. Morning star, as our days lengthen and sunshine refreshes our souls, renew our commitment to caring for your creation. Even as we enjoy the return of chirping birds and the melting of snow, we are worried by the warming and changing climate of our planet. May people around the world work to reduce emissions, protect vulnerable populations and ecosystems, and commit to sustainable energy practices. May we encourage and support each other, hoping that our small actions will compound into lasting change. God of grace, hear our prayer. God of wisdom, you know our every thought and action. Be with all those we hold in our hearts this day. Where we falter, give us your strength. Where we are silent, give us your words. Where we fall short, give us your forgiveness. Where we feel lost, show us the way. God of grace, hear our prayer. Hear the hopes and prayers of our hearts, O God, and move us by your Holy Spirit to listen for the voice of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, with the confidence of the children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Good morning. Welcome again to Marsh Chapel at Boston University. My name is Heidi Freimanis Quartz. I recently took over the position of staff coordinator here at Marsh Chapel. I want to welcome those of you in the pews here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue. Also, a warm welcome to our radio listeners at 90.9 WBUR and those listening online. All are welcome here. I would like to draw your attention to the red pads at the end of your pews. We invite you to fill these out each Sunday during the service. We have several community announcements for this morning. This Tuesday, MOVE, the Marsh Organization for Volunteer Engagement, will meet at 5 p.m. in the Marsh Room. We will have fun conversation, serve the BU community, and food. We hope to see you there. Our Lenten devotions will begin shortly. Marsh Chapel offers a daily emailed Lenten devotion as a service from Ash Wednesday until Easter. Each email includes a scripture passage, reflection and encouragement for further action or more information. Registration for the Lenten devotion is available on the Marsh Chapel website, bu.edu chapel. Shrove Tuesday Pancake Dinner is this Tuesday, February 28th at 6 p.m. in the Marsh Room. Join us for the internationally celebrated Christian tradition of consuming pancakes the day before the season of Lent begins. The Global Ministries Department will cook up pancakes and some other breakfast foods for dinner. We'll even have a pancake toss competition. <laughs> this semester's Women Forum is Sunday, March 19th, at 12.30 p.m. at the Sloan House. All women in the Marsh Chapel community are invited to this semester's Women's Forum, hosted by Dr. Beverly Brown at Sloan House, the home of the president of the Boston University. Lunch will be provided, and Dr. Brown will give a short talk on a book she recently wrote about her family's genealogy. Come and share some of your own family history. Please RSVP to hrf at bu.edu. That's hrf as in frank at bu.edu. Ash Wednesday is this Wednesday, March 1st. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of the season of Lent, a time for penitence in preparation for Easter. Marsh Chapel offers several special services on Wednesday, all of which offer the imposition of ashes. The first service, Ecumenical Morning Prayer, is in the nave at 8.30 a.m. The second service, Ecumenical Evening Prayer with Communion, is located in the basement in Robinson Chapel at 5.15 p.m. The third service, Ecumenical Ash Wednesday service, is located in the nave at 6 p.m. A final thank you to Inner Strength Gospel Choir and under the direction of Herb Jones for sharing your music ministry with us this morning. I invite you all to coffee hour after the service, which is located in the basement. If you would like to contact Marsh Chapel, please email us at the ch church office at chapel at bu.edu or call 617-353-3560. That's 617-353-3560. For all upcoming news and events, we invite you to visit our website bu.edu slash chapel. That's bu.edu slash chapel. There is also the op opportunity for online giving. As 2 Corinthians says, 
Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Thank you.
eternal God, who knows our minds and sustains our hearts, we give thanks for these gifts and offerings lifted up before you today. Grant that we may fulfill your wisdom through them, and grant that we may channel your compassion through the gifts we bring each day. We pray this in the name of your Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. go in peace to love God and learn from your neighbor. Amen. <laughs>